Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Hey, good morning, faith family. If you've got a Bible, go to John chapter 13. John 13, while you're turning there. Hey, it's good to be back. I was out a couple weekends on a vacation and uh, really thankful for Pastor uh, Terry and Pastor Tony uh, and uh, their messages and the way they served you through uh, preaching the word. Uh, this morning, we're going to be finishing up our All Sides of the Savior series. We've spent almost about 10 weeks uh, looking at the humanity of Jesus and the, the person of Jesus. We've looked at his honesty, his generosity. We've looked at the temptation account, his constant pursuit of presence with the Father. This morning, what we're going to look at in John 13 is the humility uh, of Jesus, and and that'll kind of conclude uh, our series. And then um, what we're going to do next week is we're going to start a brand new series um, called Traveling Light. Now, I know that's a country song. But that shouldn't shock you coming from me, okay? Uh, I also know that that's not what we promoted last week. We promoted a a different series that would start, and the truth of the matter is, it's entirely my fault. Uh, While I was away on vacation, God shut that door, and I I just couldn't get a piece about preaching that. And God started stirring in me uh, something different that he wanted me to preach. So I came back and kind of dropped that on our team and just said, we're not... We're not going that direction. God has a different way for us to go. And I've just kind of learned in life, it's a good thing to kind of do what God says, right? Anybody with me? And so uh, we just kind of said, eh, that's still going to be a good series at some point, but that's not where we're going uh, for the next few weeks. What we're going to be talking about is traveling light, and it's, it's based on uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. Uh, it says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The truth of the matter is, you and I often make life heavier than it's supposed to be. That we carry around weights that Jesus is saying, if you would just bring that to me, if you would just come to me, I would make your burden light. Things like guilt, the expectation of other people, the trying to be good enough, the idols of our heart. There are so many things that we bring into our lives that make life heavy. And Jesus wants us to travel light. So that's where we're going next week. You good with that? We're going there even if you're not, all right? But I'm glad you're good with that. Some of you are kind of like, can we start that today? Like, I got some things in my life we could talk about. And uh, no, we're going to finish all sides of the Savior. And then, by the way, while I'm kind of like... uh, throwing out things for the next uh, series. Uh, This fall, I think we're doing the book of Revelation. There we go. There we go. I like it. Now, hopefully Jesus comes back before then and like fulfills the book of Revelation. That'd be awesome, right? But if he doesn't, then we're going to talk about that as we look uh, at the book of Revelation. So that's kind of where we're going, Lord willing, unless he changes our direction again. uh, That's kind of what the next uh, several months is going to look like here uh, at Berean. This morning, let's finish all sides of our Savior. How many of you have enjoyed week after week looking at the beauty of our Savior and seeing his humanity and his personhood and helping us understand what it really means to be human? 
Let's look at one more side of our Savior here in John chapter 13. If you're able to stand, would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word? John chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads together and let's, let's pray for God's blessing upon our time together. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of this moment. It's a very important moment in our week. Because I believe that in this moment, God, you speak to us through your word. It's not about this church. It's not about this messenger. It's about this gathering to hear from you. Speak into our life. Help us see again the side of our Savior, his humility. Help us understand what it is that you want from our lives as your servants. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you will work in this place. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. He was one of the most famous and heroic kings to ever sit on the throne in Scotland. You've probably heard the name if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart. I'm not referring to William Wallace. I'm referring to the King Robert the Bruce. Uh, he was king in Scotland during uh, the 14th century. And uh, there's a lot of stories that kind of uh, carried on about his life, but there's one story that's uh, maybe one of the most famous of all. Uh, he had conquered a lot of lands, he had traveled a lot of different places, but there was one place that he'd never been, and that was the Holy Land. So he made a vow to God that he would make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, uh, but he ended up having a stroke. Uh, and it sent him to his bed, and he wasn't able to get out of bed, and he knew he would not be able to fulfill that vow that he had made God. So he made a rather odd but final request. Um, he asked if one of his knights, that after he died, that they would take his heart literally out of his body, and that one of his knights would take his heart to the Holy Land. The knight that volunteered for that mission was a man by the name of James Douglas. He was a very, very close friend to Bruce. Uh, as, as was promised, when, when Robert died, he, they took the heart literally out of his body, and it's kind of gross, but they placed it into a little container that looked like this. 
And then they took that container and they literally placed it around Douglas's neck. And he set off for the mission. In battle after battle, as Douglas went out on this mission, he literally carried with him the heart of his king around his neck. And then in 1330, he ends up in a battle, surrounded, that he's not able to escape. And the story goes that he literally took that heart from around his neck and he threw it into the enemy lines and declared this, fight for the heart of your king. Forward, brave heart, as ever thou were wont to do, and Douglas will follow his king's heart or die. The story ends, Douglas dies in battle and his body is returned to Scotland. Now, I tell you that story, Faith Family, not because I wanted to kind of interest you with some cool Scottish history. My intent this morning is not even to motivate you to some kind of personal bravery. I share that story because there's something I want you to think about today. There's actually a question I want to ask everybody in this room who considers themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's the question. Christian, when you go out into the world, do you take the heart of your king with you? When you go out into the world, do you take the heart of your king with you. When you go to the office in the morning, when you interact with your neighbor next door, when you have that conversation with your spouse, when you interact with other people online, do you carry the heart of your king with you? Because the truth of the matter is, if you're here today, and I'm talking to you if you're a Christian, the truth of the matter is, if you're a Christian, that means that Jesus has called you out of the world, sent you back into the world in order to display him in the world. You've been called out, sent in, in order to display Jesus to the world. And you say, what does that look like? Well, that's exactly what Jesus shows us in John chapter 13. This is a passage that many of you are familiar with, and because of that, it's easy to kind of jump into the event itself, but I want to take just a second to step back and show you what this event is intended to do, and then we'll unpack the event itself. So look first at verse 15. For I have given you an example, we'll look at the example in a moment, that you also should do just as I have done to you. So the purpose of this is for you to do it, okay? More on that in a moment. Now, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So here's the point. I want us to understand the point of this before we get into it. And the point is this. Jesus is saying, are you listening, faith family? This is what I expect from my representatives in the world. As you go into the world, as I send you out, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. In other words, when you look at this side of the Savior, you need to realize it's a side of the Savior intended to be imaged in you. Or we might ask it this way. Notice it on the screen. What do I see in Jesus, here in this passage, that the world should see in us? 
That's what we should be asking. Because Jesus wants us to do this as we are sent out. So now let's unpack the passage. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The first very obvious thing we see in this passage is the love that Jesus has for his disciples. John is basically giving you a summary statement as to what defined Jesus' ministry as it relates to his own. You notice the brackets here, having loved his own, past. He will love them to the end, future. And of course, we imply from that that what he's going to do here in the present is a display of his love. The point here is John is saying, Jesus' life was defined by his unconditional sacrificial love for his own. Now, let me ask you a few questions. Why did Jesus love the disciples? Well, it's because they were expert fishermen. Intellectual scholars, right? I mean, these men were incredible. Their resumes, impeccable. They had great insights into messianic prophecy. Of course not. Jesus loved them. Do you want to know why? Because he loved them. Get this on the screen. This is important for us to understand about the love of Jesus. Jesus' love was not based on their giftedness. It was based on his grace. It always is. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. While we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. The answer to the question of why does God love us is this, because... He just does. He's rich in mercy. He's abounding in love. Trust me, you do not want the love of God to be based on you. We do not want God's love to be based on condition. We don't want God's love to be based on us. We want God's love to be based on him. And the good news of the gospel is it is. He loves you not based on your giftedness, but because of his grace. That is how Jesus loved his disciples. How did he love them? Extravagantly, abundantly. John 1 says, the word became human. Add Philippians 2. It doesn't stop at humanity. Jesus went all the way to the point of a slave. He doesn't stop at being a slave. He goes all the way to death on the cross. He's the bread, John says, that doesn't just fill your stomach, but gives you the the reality of never hungering again for anything else. He's the good shepherd that doesn't just lead in wisdom and fight in power. He lays down his life for his sheep. In other words, when you really think about the love of Jesus, it goes far beyond any love you can possibly comprehend. Faith family, listen this morning. Behold the heart of your king. What defines this savior is an amazing love. And it's not just a love that he has for his disciples. It's a love that he has for you. I want you to feel this this morning. I hope that this will go deep in your heart. Jesus, if you're his, if you belong to him, loves you. Jesus loves 
you. And he doesn't love you because you're a great asset. He doesn't love you because you're more holy than anybody else in the room, because you're rich, because you're attractive, because you're American. It has nothing to do with your giftedness, has everything to do with his grace. He doesn't love you because you first loved him. He loves you because, well, he loves you. And he has loved you from the beginning. He loves you right this very moment. And he will love you to the end. Behold the heart of your king. And you say, no chance, nope. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I have in my past. Okay, let me ask you this. Show of hands, how many of you here today, in your past, you personally sought out the death of Christians? Anybody? Nobody's got that in their past, okay? Well, let me tell you about a guy who did. His name was Paul. And he wanted Christians dead. And then Jesus got a hold of him. And listen to what he says in a verse some of you have memorized, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. You know, the one who in his past used to kill Christians, he loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, see the love of Jesus for you. This morning. But of course, we can't stop there. It's why I started the sermon with verse 15 and verse 20. It's because it's not just stopping at the fact that He loves us, but it's He loves us that we might display that love in the world. Look just a few verses down in chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, that is the love that you have for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. In other words, I'm sending you out and they'll know you're mine. How? Because you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, right here, faith family, everybody look right here. When you go out into the world, make sure you take the heart of your king with you. When you go out into the world, make sure you take the heart of your king with you. But how does that give lived out? How does that get expressed? Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Luke helps give us some context as to what's happening in this moment because Luke informs us that the disciples in this moment were fighting over who was the greatest. Who gets shotgun in the Jesus van? That's what they want to know. Who gets the best seat at the table? The, the context here is that the disciples are basically talking like this. That's exactly what's happening here at this meal. The disciples are consumed in themselves. They want to know what's in it for me. What, what will I get out of this? And it's in that context that Jesus does something scandalous. 
The hard part of preaching this passage is that most of you know this passage. And because you're familiar with it, it may not catch you like it ought to catch you. This is a scandal. What Jesus does, no one does. This is humiliating. It is unbelievable and unthinkable. I'm not going to spend much time here on the foot washing itself in terms of, of, of what's at stake here. I'm going to talk more about Jesus. But let me just say a few things about foot washing. First of all, it was necessary in those days. And if you're taking notes, write down it's necessary today. If your feet stink, wash them. Maybe the best application you get today, I don't know. It was necessary in those days, and even more so because, as you know, they're walking around in open-toed shoes, you know, sandals. They, most of them are walking everywhere they go. They're stepping in dirt and mud and animal waste. And of all the parts of the body, the most disgusting part because of their culture was their feet. That makes foot washing not just necessary, but unbelievably nasty. They don't take care of their feet the way many people do today. This was absolutely awful, which is why the act of foot washing was humiliating. Jewish rabbis would not even let Jewish servants do this. Now, if you had a Gentile servant, that's fine. You could make them do this, but not a Jewish slave or servant. And if you had status at all, no chance. I'm trying to get into your mind. You don't do this. This is why Peter pushes back. You're not washing my feet. There's no way I'm going to let you do that. And yet in this action of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, we see incredible humility. I'm just going to point out five things. Okay. Over the next couple hours, it's the last service. We've got plenty of time. Number one, Number one, Jesus got low, though his status was high. Jesus got low, though his status was high. You got to see that here. Uh, Audience participation part of the sermon. Um, They are partaking of what meal? It's the Passover meal. They're celebrating the Passover. They're here in verse one. Now, who by his own admission says that he is the fulfillment of the Passover? Jesus, this is my body. This is my blood. Jesus is saying, we've talked about this before, everything that you've been celebrating the Passover is ultimately about me. It's fulfilled in me. In other words, no one has a higher status at this table than Jesus. You add to that the fact that John says he's the eternal word, light of the world, bread of life, good shepherd, resurrection and the life, and the one who gives living water. And here you see, Jesus sticking his messianic fingers into the nasty toes of common fishermen. You see, the one with the greatest status in the room got the lowest in the room. And I want you to actually let your mind dwell on this. Had you been in the room, he would have washed yours. Now you think about that. Imagine Jesus taking off your shoes, looking at your feet, and the eternal king of all creation washing your feet. I got no problem understanding why I should be at the feet of Jesus. I can't imagine Jesus at mine. 
And that's why I don't blame Peter, because I'd have been the same way. There's, there's no way that the person of highest status should go this low, and yet, faith family, behold the heart of your king. The one with the highest status in the room took the lowest place in the room. Secondly, Jesus got low, though his death was soon. If you know your timeline, you know that Jesus dies tomorrow. Do you think you'd be distracted? Do you think you'd have a few things on your mind? For goodness sake, I get more distracted the closer I get to the weekend sermon. I mean, by Thursday or Friday, my kids come up to me and I'm like, I don't even know who you are. You look familiar. Because my mind, the closer it gets to the weekend, begins to focus in on that. In other words, Jesus here is able to block out all of the circumstances that's going on and focus on serving his disciples. This is so important. I hope you're listening. Jesus didn't let the circumstances of his life get in the way of serving those in his life. Because it could have been easy to say, you know what, guys, not now. Like, I'm just kind of not up to it. I kind of know what's coming tomorrow. A little bit of a downer. You know, if you just excuse me, I think... I'm not going to do this. And yet, even with all of this that's taking place, he gets low. Thirdly, Jesus got low, though his betrayer was in the room. His betrayer was present. Look at again what verse 2 says. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I mean, it's one thing to wash feet of your friends. It's an entirely different thing to do it to the one who wants you dead or at least wants to benefit off your death. I mean, if this is me, it's like, yeah, I'll wash your feet. I'll wash your feet. I'll wash your feet. No chance. I'll wash your feet. I heard what you said about my sermon. There's no way I'm washing your feet. I mean, you got conflict with people. You got people that you don't get along with. Look at the humility of Jesus. It blows my mind to think that the, the very one who's going to betray Jesus with a kiss gets his feet washed. Behold the heart of your king. Listen to Romans 5 verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But here's what makes his love so amazing. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Romans even calls us enemies, Christ died for us. The truth is you're the betrayer in the room and so am I. And yet he would still wash our feet. Now, I want to make just kind of a note. This is for you biblical nerds. You want the little footnote here? So, so jot this down I, because I, I think this is so clear in the passage or that this is a passage that really helps us understand the difference between Christianity and Satanism. Now you woke up. Did he say Satan? This is so clear. You see right before you what Christianity is about and what Satanism is about. Where are you getting this? Well, obviously, it says the devil put into Judas's heart. So Satanism is present here. Here's what you need to understand. Satanism is not 
killing chickens, drinking blood, and getting 666 tattoos on your forehead. That's not Satanism. Satanism is this. It's self-exaltation. That's why Satan fell, because he wanted to exalt himself above God. That's exactly what he tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden. Why be under God when you could be your own God? Satanism from the very beginning has been self-exaltation, which is why when it says that the devil put this in his heart, it might mean more, but it at least means this. Judas got selfish. Because all it takes to be a Satanist is to be consumed with yourself. You don't believe me. Go back to John 8. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and all their spiritual arrogance. And do you know what he says? You're just like your father, the devil. He's not saying, you know, I see horns coming out of your head and that resembles somebody. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that arrogant heart's not new. It goes back a really long time. You want to be a Satanist, all you got to do is live for yourself. You want to follow Jesus, you're going to serve. Even the enemy in the room. Amen? Man, he got low. Fourthly, he got low and wanted nothing in return. He got low and wanted nothing in return. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, that's not how you would expect that to go. We would expect it to go like this. Now that I have washed your feet, you wash mine. I am, after all, your Lord and teacher. That's how it works. I've washed your feet, and now you wash mine. But that's not what Jesus says. Here's the point. Jesus had no interest in having his feet washed. He makes very clear that he came to serve, not to be served. Oh, faith family, will you please, please get this this morning. Notice it on the screen. A humble servant gets so lost in serving, they lose all self-interest. You're not concerned about me. You're concerned about the good of the other. And you might say, yeah, but aren't we supposed to serve God? Yeah, but you serve God by serving others. That's what Jesus is saying. Because the last time I checked, God doesn't need anything. You're not bringing God something that he doesn't already own. Yes, you serve God, but how do you serve God? By serving one another. Some of you here today, you've loved, you've served, and you've gotten nothing in return. You feel forgotten and you're upset. How hard I work for this family. You know what I've done for this church? To you I say, behold the heart of your king. Lastly, Jesus got low when no one else would. Jesus got low when no one else would. Where am I getting this? Two places in the text. Verse 2 says, during supper. Verse 4 says that Jesus arose during supper. 
Now, why is that important? Well, because historically and traditionally, we know something, okay? It rhymes, so it's going to be easy to remember that in those days, you would wash your feet before you eat, just like your mama told you, right? Did your mama ever tell you that? Wash your feet before you eat, okay? That was true in those days. And the reason it was the case is because they, they, their feet weren't underneath a table like uh, they are for us in our day. They would recline at table. What that means is it was very common. To, this is so gross. It's very common that somebody else's feet would be right there in your face. And you're trying to eat. Peter, like, what'd you step in, bro? Like, you got some nasty toe fungus, dude. Get something on that. I'm trying to eat bread here and I got fungus, right? I mean, come on. So the the whole point is because that's the way they would recline at table, you would wash your feet before you eat. You're going to like put that up in your kitchen now. Okay. You got it. Here's what, here's what I'm getting at. Here's what I'm getting at. Listen, the reason why this hasn't already been done is because nobody was willing to do it. It should have already happened, but it hasn't because they're too consumed with arguing about who's the greatest. So Jesus gets up during supper and he washes their feet. Jesus did what no one else was willing to do. You know that's true in many ways, isn't it? He has done what no one else would ever do. Look at the lowliness of Jesus here. And remember, it's why I started with verse 15 and verse 20, that this doesn't stop with just his example. It's, I'm sending you out into the world, and this is how I want you to live. I want you to love the way I've loved you, and I want you to serve the way I've served you. In other words, when you go out into the world, make sure you take the heart of your king with you. When you go out into the world, make sure you take the heart of your king with you. There is one more piece of this passage that Preaching this would not be complete if I didn't mention. In fact, if you ever hear a sermon that doesn't include this, uh, that person should not be preaching. Because this text is pointing us to something much greater than washing feet. In fact, it's really not even ultimately about washing feet. It's about something else Jesus has come to do. Look at verse 7. Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. In other words, I'm going to do something, and it's about something else. The clue is then in verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So now we're not talking about washing feet. We're talking about complete cleanliness. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And of course, they're referring to Judas. In other words, Jesus is right here, act of cleansing, washing feet, is pointing you to a greater act of cleansing that he's about to do. In fact, that's ultimately what he has come to do, and this is getting you ready for it. What I'm referring to is the fact that in just a few hours from when this happens, Jesus will not remove his outer garments. He will be stripped of all of his garments. 
And he will not serve by getting on his knees. He will serve by getting on a cross. And he will not pour water into a bowl. He will pour out his blood. And if you think it's humiliating to wash feet, imagine dying for sins. Behold the heart of your king. Faith family, the gospel is on full display here in this passage. It is this. Jesus did not come to wash the dirt off your feet. Jesus came to wash away the sin from your life. This is pointing you to something greater. Because your ultimate problem is not that your feet are dirty. It's that your life is. You have been stained with sin. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, he has come for a greater act of cleansing than washing feet. And in a few short hours from this moment, he fulfills it. Now, this is the passage. It's the love of Jesus on full display. It's his lowliness as he serves. This pointing us to the larger work that he has come to do in the cross. So what do we learn from it as we close? A few words of application and we're done. First of all, qualification for ministry, that is serving Jesus, is not a master's of divinity. It's being a servant of humility. I'm all for education. Teach it. A few different schools, have several different degrees in theological education. And at the end of the day, that's not what makes us qualified for ministry. What makes us qualified for ministry is are we willing to get low? Are we willing to serve? Otherwise, you end up like Judas. Judas heard the best preacher ever. Amen? Jesus, or Judas was a part of the best small group you could ever be a part of. It's like the first missional community. Judas was around the most incredible hands-on ministry you could possibly see, and he was disqualified. Why? Because he had information, but he never had transformation. And the truth of the matter is, you can know all of this and not be qualified for ministry. Jesus is saying, I want servants of humility that go out into the world and show the world my heart. Secondly, there is a direct relationship between lowliness and love. That is, the lower you go, the more love you show, which is why I say to you that no one's loved you like Jesus, because no one has gone as low for you as Jesus. But even practically in our relationships, we need to understand that if you're really going to love your kids, if you're really going to love a spouse, if you're really going to love your church, if you're really going to love your pastors, if you're really going to love those that you work with, you got to go low. And the lower you go, the more you love. And by the way, going low doesn't mean that you, you go low the whole time like, oh, I hate this. Like that kind of disqualifies, the heart kind of matters here. You genuinely want to sacrifice yourself for the good of others. Thirdly, here's what you need to know comes out of that, is true joy is found when you live that way. It's found in service, not status. Verse 17 actually says, blessed is the one who does 
this. Do you want a blessed life? Do you want a happy life, a joy-filled life, a grace-filled life? It comes through serving. The reason why a lot of you are big smiles and sad eyes is because you have missed this. And the heart isn't happy because the heart's consumed with you. And the moment that you begin to let go and get rid of yourself and serve, you begin to experience true joy. Fourthly, ongoing service to others is going to require ongoing repentance with God. Ongoing service to others is going to require ongoing repentance with God. You say, where are you getting this? I'm taking this from the exchange between Jesus and Peter. You are clean and I must wash your feet. You are clean and I must wash your feet. Let me get to the point of it. The point of it is this. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are completely clean before God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet the Bible in multiple places commands us to confess our sin before God. That is, we are clean in our being, and yet we keep getting dirty in our behavior. Are you with me? And therefore, we must continually come to God and confess our sins. And, and I would go so far as to say that you'll, you're not ready for service until you've gone through repentance. And when you've repented, you're ready to serve. Because there is a direct relationship between going low with God and then the ability to go low with others. Are you with me? This is the last service. The very thing that's keeping you from repentance is pride. Which is the very thing keeping you from serving your brother or sister. So if you're not willing to go low in repentance, you'll never go low in service. Are you with me? So you are clean. Confess your dirt. And then you'll be ready to be used of God. Lastly, you will never be clean without Christ. You will never be clean without Christ. It's so clear in the passage Physical baths can't clean sinful souls. Physical baths can't clean sinful souls. This morning, you must be willing to get low by confessing your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you here, you think about this room, you're clean, but not all of you are. Who is the one in the room today that's not clean? Because if you would be willing to get low and confess your sins and believe in Jesus, he will say to you what he said to Peter. You are clean. Only Jesus can do that in your life. Most of you have heard the name Winston Churchill. An interesting story about him was told about what happened between him and his butler. Churchill had a butler that like took care of him, even like helped him get dressed in the morning. And Churchill always treated him like dirt. 
And one particular morning, Churchill was rude to his butler, and his butler uncharacteristically got rude back. And Churchill got upset at this and like pouted for the rest of the day. Later in the day, Churchill said to his butler, you were very rude to me this morning. And the butler said, well, you were very rude to me. And Churchill said, yes, but I am a great man. Isn't that how we tend to think about it? That the greater you are, the more you ought to be served. And to that, I say, faith family, behold the heart of your king. See the side of your Savior dripping with sacrificial humility. Gaze upon the one who loves you so much he went low, even to the point of death on the cross. And as you do, as you see that side of the Savior, don't forget Paul's words in Philippians 2. Have that same mind in you. In other words, Christian, as you go out into the world, make sure you take the heart of your king with you. And God's people said, amen. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this passage, and not just this passage today, but this series of being able to look at the humanity of Jesus. I trust that there is a lot that we have learned about Jesus that has stirred our affections for him and deepened our relationship with him and also helped us understand what it means to be human, what, what life is ultimately about and how it's to be lived. Particularly this morning, I pray, God, that you would help us have specific application in our minds. When we go to work, when we go into relationships, when we are around this place and this faith family, that we would take your heart with us and that we would display that heart to the world. So, God, I pray that you would just speak to us this morning and give us some very clear direction on how we are to apply your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen.